0: and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. The walls come tumbling down. And immediately when I say that, you, you think of one particular set of walls, I would say. You know, that would be the walls of, of Jericho. Absolutely. And the walls came tumbling there. There was a great shout that was released. And, and the children of Israel who had walked seven times around the, the Jericho, uh, the walls came tumbling down to the glory of God, the trumpets, the worship, it was all there, and his glory and power was on display. We like that. That's a good one to preach. Talk about the gates of hell. The Word of God says the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. That's a good one, too. That kind of reminds me of the same type of thing, you know. That's part of the wall, right? Coming down, being unable to withstand the power, of the anointing, the authority of the true church, and not the fake church. And you, you want to see, uh, you know, why you know Christianity is very soft in some areas, and in some, uh, in some, you know, religious pseudo systems, there's not a lot of authority, there's not a lot of power, there's a lot of encouragement, but there's no, there's no power to deliver. I want to have the real authority. Amen? And I don't care who all, who all else agrees. I don't care who wants to you know, take part of it. I don't care who it offends. Uh, you know, I don't go out of my way to offend nobody, but, but if the word offends somebody, that's not something to back away from. That's something that you need to still exist in. The world's going to hate us if we're doing it right. Hmm. You know that? The world will hate us if we're doing it right, and if they don't, we're probably doing something wrong. And that is something that has completely been lost uh, in the American church as the truth. They shouldn't, well, they, they should hate us because of him, not because of us. Ooh, let me hit that right quick. They shouldn't hate him because of you. They should hate you because of him. Didn't that get a lot more Salty. They shouldn't hate Jesus because you're a jerk. And I'm not saying any one of you, you're a jerk. (laughs) Well, (laughs) if the shoe fits. They shouldn't hate church and hate Jesus because we can't act right. But they will hate you because of him. That's what he said. He said, they will hate you for my name's sake. You'll be persecuted Uh, because truth in in the end is going to offend sin wherever it is the truth is offensive to sin and one solitary way to get to heaven that is offensive to a pluralistic world that is that that is offensive to everybody but a believer and i didn't write the book they, they if you if you haven't received any any pushback any hate then we need to make sure how close am i walking to the word isn't that a fun diagnosis or prognosis rather for you? Amen. But I don't care what the world hates. I don't care what the world loves. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. I like those walls coming down scriptures. I like those walls coming down songs. In Sunday school, you know, Joshua fit the battle, not fought. Fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Anybody remember that one? Oh, please believe. Somebody say amen if you remember Joshua fit the walls. Amen. Fit the walls of Jericho. And the walls came. Amen. See now, I am in you. Whenever you finish, but there is another story about walls crashing down that takes a little more tragic and bitter tone, uh, and I need to read that today. That's what the Holy Spirit has has led us into. Um, so we'll start it. It's in the Book of Judges, and I want to give you a little bit of a a, a, a little bit of a lead in. Uh, we're going to talk about Samson about Samson the, uh, the, what, do, what do you think of when you think about Samson? Because' give give me a, give me a, a, a descriptive uh, you know, word. What do you think? Strong. Long hair. Okay, that's good, yeah, let's, let's branch out. What, what do you think of when you think about Samson's story? And as you know the story and kind of how it pans out, what, what, what em, emotion, what, what thought does that give you? Anybody else? Frustration? yeah it is frustrating to read that isn't it because you're rooting for the good guys and it's very convoluted anybody else what do you think about think? great man sad ending that's good fake right that's super fair because even whenever he was doing his most for god uh, he had a lot of sin and bad stuff going on you know behind the scenes i think that's fair so you know what the story is, or most of you, if you don't know the story of Samson, Samson was a, a judge in Israel during the time before they had kings, and the Philistines, which were this uh, conquering people who had landed uh, you know, in, in Gaza, actually, which is still you know, an area of a lot of dispute and problems today, uh, and they, they came from a seafaring people called the Phoenicians, and so the Philistines had set up camp. And they were persecuting and conquering and raiding and just uh, and doing all, all manner of wicked things, you know, and bullying the children of Israel and all the peoples of the land. They set up their kingdom and they were expanding their influence, their wealth, their power, right? Uh, and mostly, you know, in, in, in areas there in Philistia, where are um, right on the shoreline. So they had some technology and that was one of the big things, that technology. They, uh, they, they understood metallurgy on a higher level uh, than everybody else around. Them. So they actually had steel, or iron swords and, you know, different chariots, lots of stuff. So they were using that to kind of, especially the poor, you know, Israelites who really didn't have that kind of stuff yet. So they were very dangerous and they were doing much damage and plundering, raping, uh, stealing, murdering all this terrible stuff they were doing to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel are, are under this yoke because of their sin, which they'd been warned about. They'd welcome false gods. And so whenever you begin to sin and do things against God, when a nation departs from the things of God and from righteousness, there will be a result. And you can look at it and you can say, oh, well, that's just you know, that's just how it is. You know, that's, you know, that's what happens. You know, oh, oh, I'm not worried about that. Like, like that's just the natural. Pr- no, righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Sin is destructive. And and whenever a nation goes in sinful ways and follows after after sinful practices, um, then the hand of God's blessing will be removed. And suffering will always ensue. That's what happened here. It's what will happen if God doesn't do a mighty work in this nation. And he needs a people who are not afraid to offend sin to stand for his truth and for his principles. Amen? That's across the board. The way you live, the way you talk, the way you vote, the way you stand, the decisions you make. Righteousness exalts a nation. We see the sad other side of the coin here. Where Samson ends, Brother Al said, when I think of Samson, I think of a great man with a sad ending. That sad ending is in the temple of Dagon a false god brought in by the Philistines that Israelites had begun to worship, some of them. And they had set that up. And, 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 and that's where, and when the walls came tumbling down in the temple of Dagon, that is his ending. And I've heard this preached a lot of ways. But I think we need to get to, the, to, the, you know, to some of the depth, some of the truth of the situation that Samson finds himself in. The path to the temple of Dagon was long. It was not a moment. See, we we this this really hurts us when it comes to dealing with sin in our lives, is that we think it happens in a moment. You know that that one final you know turning point moment, that watershed moment, that that estuary. An estuary is where salt water uh, you know meets. Clear water or pure fresh water from the, uh, say you know where the where the Amazon or the Nile lets into the sea, and you see it's very weird to look at it from the top because you have two different colors of water coming together. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, You know the, the estuary. We think that that's the moment that sin took over. That's the moment when my life was destroyed. That's the moment when my marriage fell apart and I fell into this sin. It's the moment that things were destroyed for me. But it's not moments. It's momentum. We worry about moments because moments are so easily quantifiable. Say, that was the moment, that was the time when you said yes, whenever you looked at that thing, whenever you made that decision, when you walked away. But it's not moments that we need to worry about, it's momentum we need to worry about. It's the daily things that we do, it's the little decisions that we make, it's the habits that we start into that we are stronger than that eventually, see, when sin is finished, it brings forth death. And sin we gets finished with us before we get finished with it. It grows in its influence and its power over us until one day we realize, oh, God, have mercy. It's stronger than I am. And getting out of this is not easy. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The path to Dagon is a long, twisted path full of conflicting information and weirdly mixed signals, right? Because God is still trying to do his thing. He's still trying to operate. He still has a plan, and he still, he has grace. And so sometimes we confuse grace with tolerance, which they are not the same thing. You know that? Grace and tolerance are not the same thing. God does not tolerate sin, not ever. Now, God does have grace, for people who are imperfect, as he leads them and guides them and corrects them with his Holy Spirit into righteousness and holiness and godliness, but he never tolerates the sin. And we think, oh, you know, God didn't just get me, so that must be, you know, he must be kind of winking and nodding at that. No, sir. Don't confuse grace and tolerance. If you continue down the path of sin, destruction is the only inevitable end. The path to the temple of Dagon is a long path we always think, you know what we think that Samson's estuary was? His moment that trumps the momentum, the cutting of the hair. The word of God says in Judges chapter 16, verse 15, we know where he's at, right? He's at he's at a prostitute's house, Delilah, who is trying to talk him in to... Uh, giving away the secret for his strength so that they can destroy this leader, this judge of Israel. And so um, she has tried multiple ways and whined and talked and you will give him no rest, no peace, uh, just nag, 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 because there's power in nagging. And the enemy will do that to us. You know, He will come after us again and again and again and just continue to put pressure on us until finally we're so worn down um, that uh, you know, no matter what it is, you, you can give into it if you're not strong. So the enemy is like that. Uh, Brother Gene, as soon as you said that, it reminded me of, uh, of something that I said, you know, the, the Holy Spirit was behind it too, uh, and I just agree with you. Um, Satan and the enemy, he is a loud spirit, but he is not a strong spirit. You say he's not well; he's stronger than me, but he's not stronger than my God. However, a lot of times he's loud. He's loud. He's insistent. He's annoying. He's nagging. He continues after you and trying to wear you down. But then whenever you put him, you put him on blast and you actually put his feet to the fire, say, okay, let's see what you got. He's not so strong as he would like for you to believe. Because if you're full of the Holy Spirit, then greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's a loud spirit. He's not a strong spirit. Not when we're talking about the Holy Ghost. She continued to nag and nag and nag, trying to get Samson to cut his hair, or not trying to get Samson to divulge the secret of, what, uh, of, of, of how to destroy him, how to take his strength away. And it's amazing how whenever we have made up our mind about something or somebody that is bad for us, the amount of stuff that we can just pretend doesn't exist. Right? Once you decide that this is what God wants for you or what you want for you, you're gonna gonna bring all of heaven and earth uh, into your incorrect view on this thing and you're gonna make it make sense. I've seen people justify unbelievable sin and unbelievably dumb, bad decisions because they had made up their mind before the evidence came in, before God had spoken. And so Samson is sitting here and and she is obviously trying to murder him, (laughs) obviously trying to destroy him. And he's already been burned once before. His first wife, this woman that he marries in Timnah, um, she nags him at his wedding feast trying to get the answer to the riddle that he's made a bet on. And she finally gets it out of him and then she goes and tells his secret and then he loses, you know, the bet. And so he's been burned, quite literally burned once before, but Delilah continues to nag, nag, nag. So she said, okay, um, all right, just to get off, just to get you off my back, um, you'll never know the difference because you're not trying to kill me. Um, and then God proves it. So he, he said, seven fresh bowstrings that have never been used before. Um, tie me up with those and I'm done. You know. And she's like, really? Seven? You're like, yeah, seven's the number of God, you know, it's a big thing, bowstring, you know, prophetically. He makes a big lie out of it. I'm sure, I'm sure he I mean he said specifically seven. And so she does that. He wakes up, she's like, Samson, I can't believe it, but the Philistines are here, and I also can't believe it, but you have seven bowstrings on you, which you only told me about. How how how? <clears throat> how? Would you sell that lie? You know? And so he snaps him off, kills everybody, goes back to his nap, and then thinks it's funny. And she pouts about it. She pouts because it didn't kill him. The sin that we tolerate, that we know is going to kill us. Yeah, you know? When it comes to smoking cigarettes, nicotine in them, and we know for sure they have it right there on the package, this will kill you. Surgeon General's warning, you're going to die. And we just... It's so it's so tragic, but but you know the nicotine and people. You know I, I feel sorry, like I have much grace for people who are who are bound by that because it's a, it's a substance and it's a very strong thing. Wouldn't be easy to smoke for twenty years and then break that. And if you if you think that it would, like you probably have never been there. I personally haven't either, but I understand the power of that addiction. But it's amazing the things that we will tolerate right in front of us that want to kill us, that are actively killing us, and we know it. Next thing you know, she she brings out. She, said, oh, well, you don't you don't really love me because you you. Know. How does that conversation go? Like, you don't really love me because you just tried to kill me. But I like I said, blindness, the things that we tolerate, and so now she goes, oh, okay, something else, you know, a different kind of of, of binding, and you know, that didn't work, and now we're gonna. Uh, you know, he said, if you put my if you comb my hair out and stick it in a loom, you yeah. know. Now the funny thing is that actually did break his Nazarite vow. So we didn't know that. To put his hair in the loom like that did break the vow. You're only allowed to brush your hair or, or to treat your hair, do anything with your hair with your own bare hands. That was according to you know, the Nazarite vow. So technically, he should have got killed then and there. So there's lots of layers. So uh, that, that's where we jump into here and see this, this passage of scripture. Then she said, him, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. I've not told me where your great strength lies. You lie. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. I love that verbiage. That he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, come up once more for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand and she lulled them to sleep on her knees and called for the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before and the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the Lords of the Philistines gathered together a great sacrifice to dig on their God and rejoiced. and they said, "Our God has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy." And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, "Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead." So it happened, their hearts were merry, and they said, "Call for Samson that he may perform for us." So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. They stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. The lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed in his death were more than he killed in his life. Amen. Aren't you grateful for the reading of God's word? just is a sad ending and I'll tell you why but first the hair was the final outward step but like I said his hair shouldn't have been in the loom in Judges 14, 6 and 9 we find out that Samson has killed a lion and then returned and seeing nobody around has scooped out honey from the lion breaking his Nazarite vow of touching anything that's dead that would defile him. And here's where I really, I mean, I feel like we skip the, you know, we skip right to the cutting of the hair, but we kind of forget. This guy is supposed to be sanctified unto the Lord and, and holy and following his Nazarite vow. And like, oh man, the hair got him. Well, for the last 10 verses, he's been with a prostitute. That probably contributed too, huh? But we don't even think about it. We just because I think Christians sometimes can be very good at splitting up and, and, and you know different areas of our lives. The church version of us, or the version wherever there's people around that version of us, and and and, and, and you know may they may they ne- you know um, here's to who I am at home and who I am at church. May they never meet. And so we, we, we kind of forget, the, oh, man, my goodness, this whole time this guy has been doing this and living in sin and doing wrong. So maybe it wasn't just solely about this one moment. Maybe that was the straw that broke the camel's back. But it's a long path to the temple of Dagon where you find yourself in true bondage, your eyes gouged out, your, your, your life destroyed, working at the, to the derision and pleasure of the enemy. The enemy hates you. He doesn't want to bless you. He doesn't want good things for you. Even the things that sometimes sin brings as pleasurable for a season, he has every intention of turning that on its head and watching you suffer. He hates you. And there's not a moment that he doesn't. Not a thing that he offers you that is for your good. He hates you. Sometimes we as Christians are very good at subdividing our obedience to God have these three areas in submission to God, but I also have these little things which are not, but I keep them separate. And I want, I, this is not 100% like you know, right on the, you know, what I wanted to say, but I need to take some time and talk to you about something and to arm you um, for how to make a defense for the faith in this particular area, okay? Um, anytime that someone engages in what is called whataboutism, you need to know how to deal with that okay so a lot of times um that well let me say this there is a god loves every single person no matter what sin or what lifestyle they're engaged in or involved in however he has one prescription for sexuality and it is biblical and that is one man and one woman in the holy state of matrimony and so it's not that we go looking around at anyone else and then just and hate them and then talk about how horrible and, and disgusting and and, and stupid they are. It's not that, it's just that we know that God has said this is the one and only right way. Everything else to Him is unacceptable, it's an abomination. One man, one woman in the holy state of matrimony, procreating, loving, um, echoing His love for us. It's a powerful thing, it's a type of Christ, it's a type, and, and it's the way God created humanity to function. Science agrees, biology agrees, sin doesn't. Sin does not agree. So let, we're gonna take that, you know, uh, you know, homosexuality. Now, here's where whataboutism can come in and, and you need to know how to, uh, how to actually make a defense for your faith and how to explain some things. Some will say, well, yes, I am in, you know, this, we're gonna use this one thing, but say, I'm in this kind of relationship. And, uh, but, but what about the fact that there's lots of Christians uh, who gossip or who are mean, or who, uh, or, or you know, who are backbiters, or do this, or do that. Um, you know, what about that? Say, you know, is uh, in, in, are are some sins worse than others? No, you know, there's no gradations of sin. And so you say, well, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, who are in churches who do this and do that and do the other. And so for a second there, you're like, okay, well, maybe you know, maybe who who am I to say anything about this? Well, here's the deal. Anytime someone begins a defense for their actions by talking about what somebody else does wrong, it is already invalid. Yeah? If, uh, if Caden begins his defense for why he stole a cookie with what Jabin did, it is already invalid. Right? Jabin stole two doesn't matter if your best defense for why what you're doing is right and and, and even though it's wrong it should be okay is that somebody else is doing worse that's that's not a legitimate defense we have to live with purity and truth before the lord it doesn't matter what somebody else does maybe there is a gossiper in the church and needs to get it right maybe there is somebody who's living in sin and do okay but the thing is Usually, if you say you say, well, you know, I'm living this way and I'm operating this way and I'm living this, you know, this sinful relationship, you know, and it's you know a man and a woman and they're living you know in without being married, yeah, you know, which is also fornication, by the way. Man and woman together, having intimacy who are unmarried is fornication and it's a sin and it's the same sin as any of the rest, right? So you don't automatically get off the hook there. You say to that that couple, they say, well, yeah, but what about this person? They're, they do this, they. they Okay, and if you bring that person into the office and we have a conversation and say, do you gossip? I promise you that either they're going to deny that they do or they'll confess and then say, that's wrong and I shouldn't do it. So you can't take what somebody else is doing wrong by omission and then say, well, that justifies my sin. It don't work that way. That's whataboutism. If your best defense for your actions is that someone else's sin I promise you it will not hold up before God in eternity. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental or to be a smart I'm saying that to help you because I don't want you to get up there and not have a defense. I want you to have an advocate who is Christ Jesus. I want you to live for God and live in purity and holiness before the Lord. And are any of us perfect? No, but I don't, like the things in my life that I'm still working on, that, you know, where, where I lose my temper, where I, I, I act in ways that I know, you know, displease the heart of the Lord. And, and you, all of you do. You know, that doesn't mean like you, you should be feel you, know, feel you know peace about your sin because someone else is struggling. No, that's that's what aboutism. However, we all still are being perfected in Christ. Amen. I said that was a, that was something I felt the Holy Spirit leading me because that's going to help you in some of your conversations in the future. I promise. If you engage enough and you do what you're supposed to do in your salt and light in the world, you're going to have those conversations. And you need to be able to say. Yeah, okay, if there is sin, you know, if Christians do sin, that is wrong. And I'm not saying that it's okay. But what you're doing is still wrong. You don't get to justify just because someone else's mistake. If you start the sentence by saying, my sin's okay because someone else's sin, the bar is too low for you to be in grace. It's big stuff right there, and it may help you. Samson found a way to be anointed when he needed to and sin when he wanted to for a season. And I will tell you this, there's a lot of talented, anointed, and godly people through the ages who've done that too. I will not sit up here and tell you that it hadn't been. Been, I've seen men of God who had a mighty anointing, gifted power, authority, cast out demons, hollow sin, hidden sin that manifested and destroyed many people. So don't just think because you're getting away from it and getting away with it for a season means you're going to get away with it in perpetuity. You're not. It will destroy you. And oh God, but it'll destroy other people too. Samson has found a way to be anointed when he needs to and sin when he wants to. It's a great deal for him, isn't it? What a a, a sweet deal. Scoop out the honey, pursue all the other honeys, do everything that he wants to do, live in sin and still have the anointing when you need it. Good deal, good living. Good living until you're grinding at the mill with your eyes gouged out after you've been tormented and tortured and mocked and ridiculed and shamed. And here's the worst thing that I don't think anyone here will immediately think of. You know, but is most disappointing for Samson, I think, is he let the people down that he was created to help. And honestly, that should break our hearts more than any. Because I could take it if it was just my eyes. But what about the children? I could take it if it was just me being mocked and ridiculed, but what about the countless farms being burned, the people being taken into slavery, murdered, who God gave me the strength to defend? You take that grinding mill around and around about the hundredth time, maybe the thousandth time, you're really thinking about that. We see God's grace and forbearance in Samson's life, but not the tolerance. Sin is not strong in the moment, it's strong as momentum. And there's a path that leads to destruction. There's not a moment that leads to destruction, there's a path. That's what the Bible says. There's a moment that, no, there's a path that leads to destruction. There's a path that leads, that's straight and narrow. Let me tell you this, it's not just about a one-time prayer in the altar. Where you just... You know, say, say, say a few things, you know, repent for some sins and say, you know, God, just kind of wipe it and then just go live in whatever way seems best unto you. No, sir, it's not a moment. It's momentum. It's a path. It is a journey. It is a lifestyle decision. It is an affirmative decision. You make it in the altar, but honestly, you got to carry it out. It's a path, not a moment. I'm learning something. I'm learning that my health apparently starts with water. I've been thinking about this, so I had a ter- I had terrible was terrible sick, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And Pastor Dave came and preached the house down. I appreciate you know just his faithfulness and the anointing on his life, um, you know, a couple of different times. But uh, whenever I was sick, as a dog, I had food poisoning. Uh, I don't know where I got, it, but buddy, you know, I was you know very very sick. You know, I'm not going to tell you what happened because it's going out on a podcast. <laughs> hundred times in four days. I was so sick that it looked like I was pregnant. My, my stomach was swollen, um, you know, and just distended. I was, I was terrible sick. I was not having any fun. And I didn't realize that my body was just completely dehydrated. So I've been getting these terrible, terrible headaches. Um, my body's totally dehydrated. I ended up in the ER and they gave me a bag of fluid and pumped me up and then I began to drink my water and it really, that's probably what happened. i, I mean, We're hoping, Lord willing, you know, um, everything else came back clear. Water is the beginning of health. It's true. And you can drink coffee. Amen? Yes, yeah, sir. You can drink Red Bull. And you can drink, what, what's yours? Anybody else want to get in on that gospel? Sweet tea? You know, a little caffeine in tea? Absolutely. A little, little rock star? A little something? Something with, with some caffeine in it. Make sure, you know, something to make you feel like, you know, feel like you can get up and go. Yeah, pre-workout? Of course. All right. What a soft flex. Get out of here. You know all the stuff I drink before I work out? <laughs> you are looking fit. It's all right. It's all right. I'll give you that one. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. All that caffeine, and see, that's good, because, and I like you know, the caffeine because what it's doing, it, it is making me feel for a little while um, you know, good enough to, uh, to still feel good and get what I need done, even though that's not really what I need. It can mask it for a while. You know, I'm not drinking water, I'm not hydrated, I'm not feeling good, I'm not healthy, my body's not functioning the way it needs to, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna pump me up with about 100 milligrams of caffeine and yeah, yeah. You know? Like, I can, I, I can be really, I can be, I can be tired fast now. But it's a temporary solution, right? It's a temporary thing. In the end, if you don't give your body what it needs, it's going to crash, fail, and be destroyed. And Samson kind of learns that he learns that he can uh, he, he can get away in some situations, you know. And God's going to give him the grace and the forbearance to you know to take the jawbone of a donkey and then slay everybody. It's going to give him the power to take the gates of the city on his back in the moments that he needs to, even though the other moments are filled with sin and and wrongdoing. You know, whenever he needs it, it's always there because he's still a Nazarite. He's still anointed. He can still do this, and and, and he gets into this. Negative lifestyle where eventually there can be only one end. That's what you need to understand. If you go down the path of sin, it only has one destination. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be a year from now, it may be many years from now, but it, the longer that path lasts, the more detrimental and destructive its end will be in your life. You gotta change the trajectory breaks my heart about samson there was a greater purpose for this man of god we talk about the you know in the end you know it almost wraps it up too nicely i would never say the, the word of god you know does you know, anything that's not perfect but um it, for, for me and for my you know little you know pea brain um it almost wraps it up so nicely that i don't see the full picture because in the end he killed more philistines than he had all throughout his life well don't it all work out bless god I don't think that's what the writer's saying. I think there's still a note of tragedy because he wasn't wasn't supposed to be just a champion. He was supposed to be a judge. Here's something I really want you to chew on and then we're almost done here. Samson's job wasn't to kill Philistines. Philistines. It was to protect Israelites, protect the suffering, and you talk about how he flexed on them all, and how he was awesome, and how he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey, how he he, he carried off the gates, and he did these things. How awesome was that? He was a great judge. No, he wasn't. Almost every miracle in his life is basically God covering up for his own stupid sins. It's not even about Israel. It's not even about the children. It's not about protecting them or winning battles for them. It's about the fact that he keeps marrying these terrible people and God has to bail him out. It's so self-focused. Sin will make you so self-focused. And everything in your life, everything about your spiritual war, every time you come into the altars, it's not about nobody else. It's about you trying to trying to keep you know keep this balance of sin and, and mistakes and wrongdoing in your life and still and still make it. And it's just constantly, oh God, I need deliverance, oh God, I need forgiveness, I need this, and that's great. That's what the altar is for. But that's not all that the altars are for. Some of us are actually called and anointed with a purpose that's about somebody else. We're called to be reaching the lost. We're called to be able to cast out demons and to see people healed. We're called to do something for God, not just barely survive in and out of the altar. Now, I love the altar, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm saying God has more for you. God has more anointing. It's not just about Samson, and here he is again, a jawbone of a donkey, or now he went and killed 30 people because of the stupid riddle at his stupid wedding for the person that he wasn't supposed to marry in the first place. Yay. That really glorified God. Kind of except for it's not even really about God's plan. It's not about God's kingdom. It's about covering up his nonsense all the time. Samson's the worst. I guess that's what it sounds like I'm saying right now. Yeah, maybe a little bit. The only time that he actually killed Philistines for the glory of God was sort of kind of at the end. But even then, Samson didn't even look at it like that. He said, God, if you will allow me a little bit of strength, then I'll do it in revenge for my two eyes. And God's like, bro, you're never going to get it. I called you. I created you. You took the Nazarite vow. You were to be a judge in Israel. You were to protect the weak. You were to lead a great mighty army, a revival in Israel. You were to be a father to the fatherless. You were supposed to lead my people back into righteousness. You are supposed to cast down uh, the false idols and images of Dagon. You were supposed to lead a nationwide revival and glorify me and expand my borders. That's who you were supposed to be. All you ever were were somebody who barely survived from day to day between sin and anointing with all the giftings and anointing and power in the world and you did nothing except for barely stay on a spiritual ventilator. And I'm not beating you up if that's what you're doing here today. But I am challenging you. And I'm loving you. And I'm telling you, you were created for more. You were created for more. You were created to have an anointing. You were created to be a blessing to others You're not supposed to just be struggling constantly with that stuff because you don't have to. You have the anointing. If you will, make the decision. There's a story that I love, and it's a tough story, and many of you have heard it, and that's fine. And I I, I got it from a, a great man of God, Charles Spurgeon. And he tells the story in this message called Broken Columns. And he said that he was out in a, he was walking, uh, you know, across the street and there was a graveyard. And then as he began to look at the graveyard, he saw all the different types of headstones, you know, the monoliths, the, uh, you know, the the ones that were just a small stone in the ground, the ones that, you know, were carved, hand carved. And he said most of them, you know, were just kind of normal, what you'd expect, but several would be broken off, jagged, right? Just jaggedly broken off. And he assumed, you know, and he talked to the caretaker. He assumed those had been there a very, very long time. And that wind, rain, you know, the elements had kind of just beaten them down and now broken the column off to leave it jagged at the edge. And the caretaker told him, no, that's actually one of our newer ones. It was carved like that. He said, well, why? He said, that is the headstone of a child taken too early whose life was never able to be fruitful and to be everything that it could have been. He didn't get to live a long life. It was tragically cut short and broken off before time. Pastor Spurgeon began to think about that, began to think of all the people that he knew spiritually, whose lives were marked by broken columns that never did achieve what they were supposed to achieve, never did grow to be fruitful and multiply, never did grow to experience the good things of God that he had for them. You are, I say this on the authority of the Holy Ghost right now, you are not too young, whoever you are, to be a broken column. And I say this equally, no matter how old you are, you're not too old to complete what God has for you. have to end up there. I began to juxtapose, which means compare one and one together. Um, I began to, to do that with David and Samson, and I thought about how similar these men were, you know, one is a judge, one is the first king, but they're kind of, you know, they run along the same paths there, um, you know, with their, you know, in the same time and era where the Philistines are a terrible threat to the children of Israel and it's still the same bad guys and it's still the same issues and they're still made of the same stuff and these two men both become champions early on and they both sin early on as they're developing into the man that they're supposed to be and the sin that we see in David's life he murders and he commits adultery and he breaks his vows to God however the difference is in repentance a willful turning away from sin see now after David does those things he could have continued in sin he could have rebuked Nathan the prophet said you don't know what you're talking about I have lived purely and the fact that Bathsheba has had a nine and a half pound preemie. It happens. And covered it up. Amen. Some of you got that, some of you didn't could have just went that way and said you know it's not you know like I'm the king I can do what I want I, I have no sin like you can't prove anything like I'm going to marry her and I'm going to raise that child you know and, and, and covered it up and continued to go and, and honestly he would have still been king for a while yet but he chooses to repent and to turn the tide of his own life humble himself before others and before God See, that's the thing. Oh, you're like, oh, good sermon, Pastor. Joe. I, I think I'll go, I'll go home, I'll go away, and I'll humble myself, and I'll kind of... No, you will not. You will not. That's why there's an altar. And and church, if we won't get right in the altar here, I promise you, you won't get right on the right home. You say what you want. I've been doing this too long. Not real long. Six years. It's enough. It's enough for me to know the difference. If we won't repent when the Holy Ghost is on us and do it before, before others, we ain't gonna repent any other time. Now, obviously there are some things that you, know, you just don't blurt out. You know, there are some things that, uh, that are sensitive and that we need to you know, seek counseling and accountability over. However, we need to humble ourselves in repentance. We, we, that, that, see, that's the thing that didn't make it into the, uh, into the modern American church. A lot of things did. Worship did, for the most part. You know. we praise did. We like praise. You know. um, a, lot, a lot of stuff made it in. Repentance didn't. A willful and humble turning away from our sin and a godly sorrow over it and a turning away from sin. Repentance willful turning away from sin and the godly sorrow that leads there unto that didn't make the cut in a lot of places but it's still the only way to turn the tide in a life, amen you don't have to be a broken column you don't have to be a Samson, you can be a David you can turn it around and continue to do, see and then David went on to do what Samson should have, he blessed and he expanded the kingdom. He began to bring materials together to build up the temple which Solomon would then co- construct. He did what he was supposed to do. Sin didn't stop him because repentance saved him. And he went on to declare the works of the Lord and to establish the kingdom of Israel and to expand it. And even now, even now with all, all the terrorists and all the people who hate Israel, there still stands a blue and white flag with the star of David on it. Amen. Because he's a covenant-keeping God. He's a kingdom-establishing God. And he's looking not for someone who's perfect and with a perfect track record. He found that in Jesus and hasn't looked for it since. Nobody else is going to touch that record. However, we can get it right, we can repent, we can turn our eyes toward God, and he can do a mighty work in you.